keep learning, just keep learning. Don't shut yourself off to a belief, just keep learning, but hang on to your own sense of self. But always listen with respect to other people's views, whether they're religious, whatever. Try to learn and say, okay, just keep learning. Welcome to the Jeff Mara Podcast. Today's guest is John Scott. John is a painter and he is the author of the book, God's Mountain. In his book, he writes about his near-death experience and how he was taken back millions of years in the past to learn about the origins of the Great Pyramid and more. John, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. My audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, so if you don't mind, let's start right on the day of your accident and go from there. I, I probably have to scroll back uh, a little bit before what happened um, okay. to give you a bit of a background. Um, as I was an atheist. I didn't believe in anything. Um, I was a biker. I had a little bit of a stint in the military, uh, in the in the Navy. I was also a top sportsman. I played first grade ice hockey, so I wasn't one to um, dabble so much in drugs. Okay, I was, you know, born uh, at the tail end of the the hippie era. Uh, I was born in '61, so you know, I was probably too young to experience, you know, the '70s, which was full blown uh, LSD dope driven, you know, uh, generation. As we all know, we all got affected by it. Yes, the music was out there. The drugs were out there. So I just put that as a precursor. As a, um, but with me, I <clears throat> being a top sportsman, I mean, I couldn't really dabble in that stuff. Yes, I'd had a few experiences, but they're more socially, you know, social experiences. Um, so I'm not a drug addict. And this, I put this as a disclaimer prior because my actual experience was on, uh, was a misidentification. So it was an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I think due to my, my fitness level, because I was a top sportsman, very physically fit. I think that saved my life mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I was doing a lot of gym work, a hell of a lot of gym work, six days a week. And so, you know, I was really physically primed, you could say. And, you know, you're putting a poison in your body. You're putting something in your body that toxins are flooding through your system. Mm-hmm. But also with the toxins, like I, since I've done a bit of study on that particular species, I'm going to muscaria for anyone who uh, knows a little bit about this mushroom um and i had thought that i'd taken saffron caps which are a a very similar looking species they're orange with white gills white stem so i'll scroll back to i was living in sydney at the time and um uh i was just chugging along doing my job i was an illustrator i'd left the military and i was an illustrator and um uh i was i started to get into fine art and so i traveled up to the mountains a lot and um with with a mate that I was flatting with. And um, we just used to go certain trails. And, you know, the the Australian bush, as we call it, is pristine. I mean, you get out of the city, people love to, to bushwalk, as I did. But I would, back then, we didn't have digital cameras. We didn't have digital mobile or cell phones, as you call them in the US. I went to same spots that I knew well. I, sometimes I would go alone, yes, because it's not dangerous. If I've done a lot of bushwalking in my life. I've lived in the bush. So you've just got to be mindful of snakes and a few, you know, nefarious critters you know, hanging around. So this time, um, <clears throat> I always take, um, I always gather herbs and stuff and uh, what we call, <clears throat> excuse me, bush tucker. And it could be anything from roots or, you know, certain flowers you can eat. And yes, I'd been uh, introduced to this saffron cap mushroom, which uh, was edible. I'd always been wary of mushrooms, but I do like mushrooms. I picked many as a child. And the saffron caps, um, 
you know, um, they're just, as I said, they're orange on top. They're quite large, white gills, white stem. Generally, anything with a white gill or a white stem is poisonous. You keep away from it. That was a basic rule of thumb. I'm not a mycologist, so I really can't go deeper on that. And I was very cautious about eating saffrons, but this Frenchman that showed me said, no, 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 they're fine. They're fine. We eat them in Europe, so they're fine. So, And what I didn't realize is um, I had stewed. I, I found some under, under a tree. And I, you know, from vaguely from memory, I think it was a pine tree. You don't really take much notice of stuff like that. It's just like, oh, there's bush tucker, grab some, you know, because you don't want to have to carry all your food when you go for a walk for two or three days. So I grabbed these mushrooms and um, yes, they had a few white spots on them, but they'd faded and they were, I realized later they were old Amanitas. And with an Amanita, uh, since I've done a lot of research on them, is they actually, each phase, um, they billow out, they come up, they have a veil, the veil rips open and it forms a skirt or a dress on the stem. These didn't have the skirt, so maybe the skirt had been knocked off, you know, through whatever weather animals because only last about three or four days in bloom and they were quite flat i thought oh, okay so the dots had probably been washed off mm. I, th I thought nothing of it so you know I'd go, i've gone and whacked about six of these things six or seven of these in the stew good chunky find mm. and um then sitting around my campfire after i just post you know the the, the actual meal i thought geez i'm not right something's not right here and i'm starting to expand and um Really, I mean, I mean, I'm mean, i really expanding quite rapidly. And I thought, I've eaten something. I've done something wrong here. And, you know, of course, you get all these micro thoughts flashing through your mind. Um, and mine was, oh, have I poisoned myself? And again, no cell phones back then. So I thought, what do I do? Do I get up and pack up and, you know, run back? Because it was a day's walk out of there. And I thought, I'm, I'm not going to make it. I thought, oh, well, okay. So in a, it kind of like it was a it was a kind of conclusive micro thought. I thought, look, I'm just going to have to sit this out. If I die, then I die. That's it. I mean, this is it. You know, I didn't think like that that I was going to die, but it was it was a micro thought. Yes. Anyway, I, but I also there was this underlying um, recognition because I'd had LSD and I'd had a few things in the past. I thought this is acting similar, but it's not the same. So I thought. I'd still not clicked that it was the mushrooms, right? Mm. And then I realized uh, that I was expanding into really, like, powerful states. Now, we, luckily with my job, I used to be an illustrator, and the type of illustration I did was very detailed work. I did a lot of cutting of frisket with a scalpel because I was an airbrush illustrator. So I had the ability to focus incredibly down to really tight laser-like consciousness, and so I, I quickly went into that mode and I, and I looked inside myself and, you know, I was expanding away, well, both outside and inside. I'm looking at my legs, they're expanding away. Let me stop you yeah. for a second. What do you mean yeah. by expanding? Well, my whole body felt like it was ballooning out okay. beyond my, my physical body. Hmm. So I'd never had this experience ever like that. Hmm. Anyway, I thought, I think I'm, I've actually taken some sort of a, I didn't even think hallucinogen, but that was coming into my mind. Anyway, um, I was looking at my hands and I was looking at the stars and everything was really shifting. Like the stars seemed closer than in the, they were getting, the colors were getting brighter. Like if it was a yellow star, uh, it really became yellow. If it was a blue star, it really became blue. So I thought, okay, amplification, I've got this. 
Uh, and then I could hear crickets, which were always there, but then they entered into my mind. So the crickets then, I realized that they were communicating. And I thought, what the hell is this? It's like, this is weird. Then I'd realized that I'd taken something that by this stage, I thought, well, if I die, so what? I'm going to die. This is, this is life. I mean, I'm very, I was very practical. I didn't have any idea of near-death experiences or post-death life or afterlife or anything. So I just thought safety first. I put my campfire out, hopped in the tent, zipped it up and just went to sleep it off. But unfortunately, I didn't go to sleep. Hmm. And, and I, all of a sudden, the crickets are there singing and I could see, I could feel my legs moving. And I thought, my legs are moving. What's going on? And I was actually syncopating with the crickets because they uh, somehow must rub their legs when they sing. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how a cricket works. But mm-hmm. anyway, but I was connecting directly with every sound and every visual that I was uh, um, seeing and feeling, okay? So by this stage, it's pretty chaotic, but I'm not scared. And this is interesting because there was absolutely no fear whatsoever. And I'll probably scroll forward uh, later with that, why that is. Uh, and it may have something to do with that particular species. Um, it shut down, shuts down your fear receptors, I believe. I mean, it did with me. Um, so I went through this really massive expansion um, into the earth and immediately in my surroundings, but it wasn't um, like I was looking in a rock or looking in the planet. Everything was moving. And once I slowed this down, and I can only use the word parallaxing. Parallaxing is when you shift consciousness from two different directions to get like a view and your eyes have this ability with visual receptors. So I'm parallaxing everything, shifting right, left. And I, and I can only intuit that it was the hemispheres in my brain parallaxing. Okay. So my logic and illogic, uh, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So applying this to what I was seeing, I was uh, seeing that, that rocks were alive, trees were alive. And I thought this is impossible. How can they be alive? So, as I progressed through this, this questioning, you know, it was questions without English. It was just questions. I kept on getting more questions. Like, why are the rocks, why are they breathing? What are they, what are they doing? They're breaking. And then I can see the whole thing moving. I can see energy going through the trees. And I thought, what am I looking at here? And I thought, I still didn't fully understand. I just kept running with this as I'm expanding. And then I'm seeing seasons seasons swirling around the planet like you know summer um you know autumn or you call it fall then winter and then spring and then i saw this strange uh movement of the planet it was almost like um i don't even have the word to describe it but it was like the energy was moving around the planet through the seasons i thought what am i observing and then i realized i was observing the energy moving from trees then skipping over across the planet into another forest, and that energy would go and imbue the plant, the trees or the forest from the skip, which was all done internally inside the planet. So it was all transferring energy. So w- once I started to grasp what was going on, of course, I could slow it down and freeze something if I was a, a little bit, you know, I-, I found I could do that. So when I held uh, a thought, or of a rock or a tree or whatever I was looking at, if I held it in my mind, more information would come in. And this is when it gets really sexy. Um, I realized later that quantum physics works off this non-local principle of of, uh, interaction between um, particles of distance. And they're actually joined. 
And I clicked, that's what was going on here. I didn't have the quantum knowledge back then, but I realized I could do it. So, but I actually became the rock. I became the tree temporarily. I became the planet. I became everything that I looked at. And it's like, I have to really trunk, make that shorter and truncate it because this went on for quite some time. Time is totally relevant when you're in this altered state. So I wasn't hallucinating because they weren't, it wasn't a distorted reality. It was an augmented reality mm-hmm. of things that uh, we're not normally privy to. Science may start the premise mm-hmm. of a question or a posit by saying, well, we are going to set the experiment up to find X answer. Well, the problem is I was outside the parameters of the question. I didn't even know what I was questioning, Jeb. <clears throat> so, meaning I was getting the answers before I had posited the question. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this little box of my mind is being flooded with all of these uh, thought forms and visuals and, and uh, not so much sounds, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but all of this input going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wanted to say something. I want to ask two questions. One, while you were on this, um, I guess you call it a bushwalk, were you alone Yes. And two, at this time that all this stuff is going on, do you think your body was dead? Or do No, you, no, that you... came later. That came later. And that comes later in the NDE, and I'll explain that. Okay. All I knew was I was expanding into nature. And this is interesting because I've done 30 years of research on uh, spirit plants as well now. And I realized that each plant or sacrament, I prefer to call it a sacrament because it's not a drug, the the word drug in the allopathic medicine means to cap something and, and attempt to heal it from a completely different modality. They work from the outside, cap it in, whereas these plants will start from the inside, from the bottom up, and they just split you right in the opposite direction from the inside out. So with that, um, once I'd gone through nature and expanded right out to the planets and went out of the planet, the earth, everything, um, I went out to the stars and then it blacked out. It just went totally black. Hmm. I mean, I've just really made a very short version here of what happened because there's too much involved in it. So I'd been through this nature and I'd realized that, that everything in our body comes from the earth. Everything that we call physical comes through micronutrients, minerals that are broken down from everything I'd just seen, the plants, the rock parts, and then they're sucked up through the trees and plants, which we eat. So we actually are eating rocks when you actually think about it like that. Mm -hmm. We're eating crushed up rocks. Mm -hmm. And so once you start to look at it from a scientific biological view, there's nothing insane about what I've seen. It's actual science. So here we are, we're eating rocks, we're eating plants, but plants are quite interesting because they have a form of consciousness. And that's when I was uh, saying, you know, like if I saw a forest, because I started seeing areas of forests that were dark and they were dying, but, and they were communicating to other forests that we're dying. And those other forests are saying, oh, they're reacting in a very primordial way, not with like cognition like we do. They know what's going on. The plants know what's going on. So I'd seen this very bizarre, this is, sounds so bizarre, but these plants, these sacraments, are now moving to safe areas. They know where to go where they won't be abused or taken in the wrong way. 
you know, I'm talking like cactus, mushroom, peyote, all of these are sacred plants. And I found out much later, and I can take this whole discourse of plant medicine into uh, quantum mechanics, uh, especially to do with um, light. When we talk about periodic and aperiodic structures in the crystalline substrate of, you know, everything. And physicists know about this stuff, but they don't actually equate it to plants. They haven't, and it's somehow they seem to have isolated all of this dialogue and discourse into quantum mechanics, but they're separating it from us. They're separating it from, separating it from the bigger picture of what does it actually mean? Why do we have these plants? What are they? And they're actually, uh, uh, I feel that they're uh, extremely important in keeping mankind linked to other dimensions extremely important i cannot under understate uh, <clears throat> understate that now if we segue <clears throat> excuse me if we segue this whole dialogue into sacramental oral um sacraments uh we can end up in some very strange areas and i which i did end up in a very strange area later with john allegro's work which was vilified and um considered heresy and uh he 15 years later i found out about him but i'll come back to him in a minute so i'd expanded right out into the universe as far as my consciousness could handle and then i i felt like it just it just went black it not even felt like it just went dark completely dark pitch black i was aware of the darkness and uh, i've since found out that some people do have ndes and go to that place and they call it the void mm. I don't like labeling things. I just like describing things through my own subjective experience. And I haven't read uh, many NDEs at all. I purposely, I didn't even know what an NDE was. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that coined that term. Mm -hmm. So here I see this uh, energetic gate. It just appears. A gate, that's the only way I could explain it. Mm -hmm. It was like a pathway to go through. It was an opening. And that was the only time I was really scared, Jeff. Mm -hmm. I was got a bit worried because intuitively prior i'd gotten the hang of moving through nature so and i knew it was a rock i knew it was a tree i knew it was the earth these are things that i could cognize these are things that i could actually understand because of my environment we've all been brought up with that in our environment so it's not scary so when you approach something that you've never ever ever experienced before and i mean never experienced energetically no visual i thought what is this so mm -hmm. But that's when something appeared, like a, a, a presence. It appeared, and it was near me, but I couldn't see it. And I'm not in my body by this stage. My body's gone. I'm, I'm just in con pure consciousness. And I thought, it didn't talk to me, but I felt it was there to help me. And I was making all the decisions at this point. Everything was choice-driven. So I thought, oh, what the hell? And I went through. That's all I remember saying clearly, oh, what the hell? And I went through this thing, this opening. And soon as I went through, I was in a tunnel of light. I thought, oh, here we go. I know, I know this. I knew it. It was a recognition of something so ancient, something that has always been there, but I'd never seen it before in this life. Mm. And it was love. It was pure love. It was just like this milky river and just these streams of light all. And it was magnetic you i wanted to go i wanted to go by this stage because i wasn't scared at all the fear had gone the black void had gone i knew i was going somewhere that was good and i wanted to get there but i was stopped periodically by these ethereal 
um, crystalline. Um, you know those. You know those Japanese separation. They have that in Japan. They have those little uh, concertinaed, um, like uh, what would you call them? They they separate rooms, and you can actually go behind and get oh, changed. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know what? Like, like a, a special thing, like a folding yeah. thing. Right. Well, that's this was what was happening. I was getting these crystalline folding things happening, and I realized they were folding multiple times, and then a little hole would appear in the middle, and I could go through it. And I thought, what am I going through here? I'm, I'm going through some other gates, but they were more subtle. So I'm thinking, okay. And I knew this thing was still with me, this this entity, this guide, whatever you want to call it. I don't, won't call it an angel because I didn't see wings. Or I didn't see any anthropomorphic imagery. It was just a presence. But I knew it was involved in taking me to this, up through these gates, and there was many of them. Did it look like an ahead. orb or something or just a ball of light? No, no. It was just a feeling, and I couldn't see it because every time I tried to look at it earlier, way back in the void, and I looked around with my consciousness, black. And then I could feel it, you know, on my right-hand side. And then I'd go like that on the left, gone, black, and it would shift. So it wouldn't let me see it. Mm -hmm. No problems with that. But it didn't feel malevolent and it didn't feel negative at all. Mm. So I just let that be. You know, it's like you don't fight. Because as I'd realized that the more I fought at any stage, um, it has a way, it, I say it, uh, it has a way, the experience has a way of bringing your pendulum back to the center Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm going through this tunnel and I finally go through all of these gates and I finally get to this absolute immense presence of light. It's just pure and pure light. I knew there was so much information pouring in with nothing said. Mm-hmm. Nothing was said. I knew. I knew it was home. I knew this is where we all go. Mm-hmm. All of us. I, I didn't put it in terms of God then. I didn't because I'm just in awe. I just, you know, I don't go, oh, this is God. No, no, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. It's because I was so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and, and the love was unbelievable, unbel- freaking believable. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't experience anything like it. So I thought, okay. And, and I was just there in front of it. And I tried to look through it to see if there's anything beyond it. Nothing. I couldn't. It was just too pure. Mm-hmm. It had a, oh man, I write about this in my book. It's full of conundrums, what I call dualistic conundrums. I've still got sovereignty over John's consciousness, mm-hmm. okay? This is, this much I do know. Um, nothing had taken me over. Mm-hmm. Nothing evil or good had taken me over. It was, I still had sovereignty as my sovereign consciousness. I could still think as John, with all John's thoughts that I had here on earth. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, and I think I remember saying, um, where am I? That was the first question. And um, it said, uh, you've reached us. That's all, something like that. You'd reached us. Hmm. I said, but where am I? Because I, I had this whole concept of going somewhere. You know, I've mm-hmm. just been through the earth and rocks and plants through this tunnel. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it took because time's just not the same. But, you know, here I had this idea that I'd gone somewhere to the other side of the universe. And uh, I said, where are you? And they said, we are everywhere. I said, mm. well, I don't understand. I thought, I don't understand that. I didn't even think that in words. Mm-hmm. It knew I didn't understand. So it shifted that parallax thing. Bang, shifts me. A little bit of an emotional insert doof, into my energy field. Bang. And next thing I get smashed with this expansion into everything. And it's like, holy crap. I don't, I, that just 
stripped me of any thoughts, I be- I became it temporarily. So, uh, and it took me years to, you know, map this all out. It's mm. so powerful. It is so powerful. You've got no defense up. Doesn't matter any any thoughts that you've ever had that you're trying to hide in your life. Forget about it. It knows. It already knows. Yeah. It sees through that. All the things you've done wrong, all the things you've done right, it knows. So, you know, forget about it. And then I asked, I said, am I dead? That's mm-hmm. when I asked, am I dead? Uh-huh. And it didn't answer me. And I said, well, am I sick? Am I ill? No answer. I thought, geez, I thought, you know, to myself, I, I'm thinking back in the now, John, I thought I must have been a dickhead because uh, it was an answer that was obvious. Because I, I I wasn't dead. My consciousness was alive. So it was a stupid question. But we still ask stupid questions through ignorance and shock. I was in shock. I think I was in shock and awe at the same time. It was like a whole multifarious. And I think that's a yeah. profound thing that you just said there is we still ask stupid questions through ignorance Absolutely. and shock. Yeah. And I asked heaps of them because I thought, you know, yes, because I didn't understand what death was. I had no concept of death as most of us don't. Mm-hmm. So that's why I asked, was I dead and was I ill, you know? And they, mm-hmm. they didn't answer both those questions at all. Mm-hmm. So then what happened is I thought I got a chance to reflect. I'm sitting there. I've stood. This thing's not doing anything, right? It knew. I knew it knew everything. It knew everything. It was pure love. It was, wasn't pushing or anything. It was just there. It's like the most being entity you could imagine. It's like sitting in front of a million Buddhas or something. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. That's the only way I could put it. And I thought, okay, and I, I reflected momentarily. I thought, well, I've got this entity here. I, I've got to ask some questions. I'm going to really squeeze, you know, put it, the thumb screws on this thing kind of thing, you know. So that's when I asked about the pyramids because that's the first thing that popped up. I thought, well, if this thing knows, and maybe, and I even thought about this. I thought, did, before I was born as John in this life in 1961, were these thoughts pre-planted into me? as a predestined NDE to finally unload those very questions. Mm -hmm. You know, I do ask that because I thought this is the weirdest thing to ask. I said, what were the pyramids used for Uh, in Egypt? Because it's always been a great mystery for everyone. Right. So when I got the answer, which I do go, it goes much deeper than just, you know, power plants and stuff. Yes, it is a form of a power plant, but it's so beyond anything I could comprehend. Um, And it gave me an answer. Um, It had multiple functions. Uh, one of them, it said succinctly that it was like a particle accelerator. Now, I didn't even know what the hell a particle accelerator was, mm-hmm. but it then inflected again. That energy, it just shifts you and you know, you think, oh, I, now I get it. It's about sending a particle of light faster than the speed of light. Hmm. And so this is where this is where only just starting to touch on this in, in physics now, you know, through particle accelerators 30 years later. And um just to, if anyone's listening to this, you know, that particle acceleration, we're still using the process of fusion, oh, sorry, uh, fission, where they send a, a particle down, they smash particles into each other, and then they observe to see phenomena of the of the collisions to see if there's any patterns there and if there's any other particles that break away so they can see smaller constituent parts. Mm-hmm. And so once they find a specific particle, then they try to isolate that, then they try to smash that apart. So the whole process is uh, fission-based, splitting and breaking. So in my case, um, I'd, I'd gone through this process. I was like the atom inside a particle accelerator. I realized this is where I can equate that in my book. I wasn't destroyed, uh, but 
I realized through um, that that merge, ultimately our soul, for want of a better word, can be uh, destroyed's not the right word, Jeff. It can be merged or placed into any other form. We're dealing with energy. The whole thing is energy. Um, and there's processes about how or why energy does what it does, um, which is a much deeper metaphysical discourse because I did study metaphysics afterward. Um, I also studied a little bit of basic physics. I understood particle acceleration, triple cooling, zero-point cooling rates. All of this stuff is all interesting because it does relate to uh, the ego. You've got an inner world of metaphysics and an outer world of physics. The difference between the near-death experience, uh, we are replicating an atom going faster than the speed of light. And I did ask about where the light was. It said it was at about approximately 50 times the speed of light, mm. which is incomprehensible for most, for just even I couldn't grasp it because we're still dealing with uh, the process of one speed of light and breaking the light barrier. And this is important when we start to talk about extraterrestrials and things later on in the talk. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did ask specifically about the functions and that the Great Pyramid was built over 400,000 years ago, mm -hmm. about 400, 450,000 years ago. It didn't, the light didn't say it specifically in terms of years, but it showed me um, how time is measured on Earth and it's cyclical. So time is measured through uh, repetitive cycles and through the procession of equinox is one good one. If you know anything about the procession, do you know about that? Uh, kind of. Uh, that I think the procession of equinoxes isn't that every five thousand years. Is that what is that what we're speaking about? Every oh, five thousand okay. years is where the Earth is in a different spot. So the oh, every two thousand, every two thousand. Okay, basically the whole procession is over a period of twenty six thousand years. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is the axis mundi of the Earth, which is the central pole. Yeah, the axis mundi actually is not in a stable spot. It moves around on the North Star. It actually poles around the North Star. And that's why the North Star remains stable. But then the actual axis, central axis of the Earth mm -hmm. spins around that North Star. So it's like a micro, it's like a wobble in a top. Mm -hmm. So that takes 26,000 years. And the ancients knew about it. And that's how I was shown uh, these time scales that showed me like four or five, six of them and just kept going through. And remember, this information is being planted into me, not into my mind as a cognitive John mind. It's planting it into my soul. It's unforgettable. Mm. You don't forget it. But, but mm. it takes a while for it to come out again afterwards, mm. like a leaching process. So when I was shown that the Great Pyramid, the one Great Pyramid was built around 450,000 B.C., this does not sit well with archaeology and it doesn't sit well with anthropologists and sure. Egyptologists. Yeah. Secondly, it was, yes, it was built out of earthly product. And this is where it gets um, sexy because we assume that we had knowledge of those earthly products. But the more and more we study the Great Pyramid, the more we find that the types of stone they used, like the limestone and, you know, the red uh, granite and all of these different stones have electrical properties. And so they keep on finding more and more, whether it be uh, geography, geomancy, electrical properties, piezoelectric properties, because the pyramid's eight-sided, not four-sided. It's eight-sided. And then the outer limestone blocks that have since been removed, mm -hmm. they filled in 
you know, the, the slight indentation on each side because they have uh, dual facets on each side of the pyramid. So the way they structure these things are phenomenally accurate. Mm-hmm. And again, um, you're dealing with profound uh, knowledge of movement of energy. Uh, this is just, just the actual build itself. The internal chambers, mm-hmm. which weren't discovered until Caliph al-Mamun in 850 or around the mid-1800s uh, AD, he broke in. He broke into the upper chamber and had never the upper chamber had not been accessed since it had been closed down on purpose. So, you know, all of this was post-study that I post-research and post-study. But I wrote to a very top researcher recently, Michael Tellinger, and uh, I said, "Look, I found proof uh, that will not necessarily give us the exact age of the Great Pyramid, but but there's." Uh, circumstantial evidence in the height of the door, the main door, which is only 17 and a half metres high. Whereas the other pyramids, uh, that this we're talking about Khufu, the Great Pyramid, they attribute it to Khufu. Mm-hmm. It didn't have a name, by the way. It, it was nameless. We're dealing with an initiation chamber. So it did, wasn't meant to be named for dead kings mm-hmm. <clears throat> because kings back then didn't name themselves. That's a form of ego. They were mm-hmm. given titles mm-hmm. depending on their abilities. That's a really important part to note. Did they show you anything that you know about the pyramids right now that hasn't been discovered yet? Well, yes, that it was a particle accelerator and it was designed to propel consciousness faster than the speed of light to communicate with entities all throughout the universe. This was told to me directly in telepathy, to communicate with entities throughout the universe. Think about that. I was going to say, what about anything physical? Like, is there possible there are other chambers that you were shown that man hasn't discovered yet? Yes and no. Um, the main, the physical part, this is when it starts to get very interesting, and it had a lot to do with our evolution because I was shown the evolution, the deep evolution of mankind. Mm-hmm. This is this is where it it can really upset creationists. It mm-hmm. can upset the uh, uh, anthropologists even. But there were multiple species. ETs have been genetically engineering us for millions of years, millions, millions. And to bring us up to a, it has a lot, not just to do with our physical, but with our psycho, our psychophysiological, meaning our energetic abilities, that they had to find a balance. And this is all to do with, it's all connected with the gravity of the planet. It's all connected to, with, with, physics of the planet, gravity of the planet, uh, a whole bunch of factors. And this this stuff I put in my book in great detail because it's too hard to break down just from the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But basically the pyramid was also functional in lifting up the gravitational field of Earth hmm. to lift the gravitational field of Earth and keep it at a stable gravitational level. So it was actually used constantly for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, imbued every month, it would just go out. The energy would be imbued through the water table, through the water was mainly through the water and the ether. So the ancient Egyptians knew a hell of a lot more, and Atlantis knew a hell of a lot more than physicists know today because they were dealing with uh, uh, kinetic forms of energy that only Nikolai Tesla is just starting to dabble with. So the, the ancients knew about this stuff already. Right. This so was known. From what I learned, you know, Gravity is determined on the on the mass of an object. So, Correct. 
and the Earth, due to its size, is going to have a certain amount of gravity. Correct. And so the, you're saying that the pyramid can actually alter the gravity of the planet? Am I following you correctly? That that was able to... Correct. To, Correct. to reduce the gravity or increase the gravity? Re- reduce. Reduce, okay. Re- reduce it. Because what they'd found with this planet uh, is that we were below one speed of light. We were trapped in a black dip. But the beauty of this planet is it had so much to offer. The beauty, there was so much to learn. And this gets into a deeper ontolo- ontological narrative, uh, meaning does God, does God want to learn too? You know, does God know everything? Well, God expands into darkness to learn about, eventually learn about, you know, everything in that explosion, Big Bang, whatever, and that could take trillions of years in our Earth years. But as we all absorb back into the Big Bang, it learns. It learns. This is, a, this is and for all intents and purposes, people believe God is an, an absolute, and this is a little bit too out there for people to comprehend, but me personally... God does know everything for, for all intents and purposes, but it also wants to grow. Hence, it sends parts of itself out into form, into a body, like a little um, probe, and it sends probes out into right across the universe in vessels, these bodies, not just ours, but extraterrestrials. They learn, they go back, they bring it all back, mm-hmm. and you download what you've learned. But it's the whole point is it's expanding into darkness. Light is expanding into darkness. So and then it learns in that darkness new things. That's all it wants to know is new things. That's how it grows, and then it just keeps on each consecutive big bang and expansion just keeps going forever. That's mm-hmm. when I, I went a bit mad after my NDE, knowing mm-hmm. this. It really sent me bonkers, and I was losing the plot, and I almost got you know. <laughs> you can get put into the funny farm with this stuff. So yeah. really bringing this information back whole and intact is very difficult. Mm-hmm. So where were we? Uh, yeah, the Great Pyramid. So yes, it had functions of lifting the gravity. And what I'd found is that, and I'm not a scientist, so I'll make a disclaimer right now. A scientist would probably pick holes in this, but I don't think with the incomplete science, science is always incomplete. It must keep growing with new information and inputs. But gravity, light, time, and space are all I'm not talking about light, I'm talking photon light. They're mm-hmm. all combined together in a unified field. Mm-hmm. That much I do know now. So that when the pyramid was being used properly, it was lifting the gravitational forces of the planet, but it also affected consciousness within that whole gravitational field because our consciousness is affected by gravity, time, mm-hmm. light, space. We are, in effect, trapped in a time trap. And this is when you start to get into ancient linguistics, which were downloaded into me about the origins of hell and heaven and what they really were. Mm. And hell was a trap in time. And we were born into hell mm. or hell, which is in infinite time. And we're to lift ourselves and be reborn out of time. That's mm. what the whole initiation rites were about. We're about escaping time and the trap of time. You know, we all wear time bangles called watches from nine to five, and we fragment our life into allotments of time. There is no such thing as time on the other side. Hence, we have a real problem trying to transpose the physics of no time, no no space, no gravity, and then Mm -hmm. trying to talk about it in terms of Newtonian physics and whatever. Mm -hmm. You see the problem. Mm -hmm. And people, because our mind is trapped in time, gravity, space, we're trying to 
listen to things outside of it. We go, this is nuts. This is crazy. It doesn't work out. Yeah. You see? So yeah. we're talking two different languages. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So the ancients measured time, obviously, by the movement of the sun, you know, the daily movement of the sun from dawn to dusk, and then the movement of the, the, the lunar cycles. These, this was another calendar. Then they had annual cycles with the stars, which they measured, you know, using planets and stars. Then they had greater cycles of time uh, with this processional movement over 26,000 years. And so, of course, in Hinduism, they talk of yugas, you know, uh, and they talk about we're being in a Kala Yuga now. So we, we're only in the West just starting to, to discover this concept of this greater processional movement of time. A good book to read is uh, Hamlet's Mill. Hamlet's Mill is a mythological narrative or a treatise uh, by uh, Santiana von Deschen. Two, two um, people have put this book together. It's a difficult read. Mm-hmm. I found it a very difficult read, but it talks about the movement of procession through mythological narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, even the Kaliva, the Kalivala, the Finnish epic uh, myth, is one of those uh, narratives that, that were incorporated mm-hmm. in this knowledge of ancient cycles of time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people now sort of trying to push the Great Pyramid back to 12,000 mm-hmm. BC and, and the last Great Ice Age. But where where the, the clue that I found, and I really wanted to talk to Michael Tellinger about this, was the actual height of the uh, the doorway on the Great Pyramid uh, that it was at 17.5 metres. And you think, why would they put a bloody doorway all the way up the wall? It doesn't make sense. You know, we mm-hmm. look at it now from the Giza Plateau and we look up at it. I think this is crazy. Mm-hmm. But then we've got boat pits buried, four of them, four pits buried at the base of the pyramid full of ancient decayed boats made out of mm-hmm. very soft cedar wood. So mm-hmm. obviously boats were used. Were they used to enter the front door? I say yes, yes, originally. And then uh, I say originally because I think the rites were contaminated. I think the deepest rites were contaminated and they had to shut down the upper chambers for that purpose. So the rites kept on going, but they weren't pure enough. So they, were, they, they couldn't fulfill the full uh, process of the original function of why we had a priesthood in the beginning. And a lot of people go, oh, religion is man-made. It's not, no, it wasn't man-made in the beginning. It was perfect, but it got contaminated by men. There's a big difference. So this, this is a completely another narrative, completely mm-hmm. about, you know, the truth of getting scriptures, accurate scriptures. And, and, you know, often when we come across ancient scriptures, like I say, the Gnostic scrolls that were found in the, in the, in the caves um, in um, Israel, they won't let just anyone read those. So they quickly whisk them away and they're taken to a lab and studied. And then, you know, they could be edited or interpreted according to whomever gets access to those scriptures. Mm-hmm. So, and so, you know, you're combating people who've got dogma, mm-hmm. who've got beliefs and dogma. I don't have any beliefs or dogma with this. I just go where the mm-hmm. truth takes me. Mm-hmm. And this truth, this direct discourse with the light, mm-hmm. it had no intent of misleading me. Why would it? it was, I, I knew it was God after the fact. Why would it mislead me? Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't want to lie because I know I've got to go back there when I die. Yeah. And I know what happens. I know what happens to us mm-hmm. from experience mm-hmm. if you lie. Mm-hmm. Very important point. And that gets into cosmology and what happens with soul transmigration. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a really important point for people who are dabbling in the dark side. Don't do it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you'll get away with it for a while, but eventually you'll get caught out. Everything is seen. It's already seen. The creator already knows the outcome, mm-hmm. which 
again is another problem because we go but what about choice mm -hmm. you know predestiny versus choice mm -hmm. um know? for the sake of time and since i'm limited on time can you give me some of the other things that you saw that you write about in your book like besides yeah. the pyramids what are some of the other things that you saw or learned just you know well, some of the topics sure. briefly well i as I said, I became a recluse. I, mm -hmm. I didn't want to study. Uh, I didn't want to study religion at all. Mm -hmm. But circumstances came about because I'd seen so much stuff in my NDE. I just mm -hmm. couldn't compile it all at once. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I was taking notes, but I was also getting introduced into biblical narrative mm -hmm. and other beliefs. And um, so I just started, you know, reading the Bible. I read it right through. I still read it. Um, so, you know, for any people who claim they're religious, that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, but here's a copy of my book. I've got it earmarked. It's got a million earmarks on the thing. And mm. I've read over 200 Apocrypha. Mm. Uh, I've studied the Zohar. I've mm. studied Kabbalah. Mm. I've studied metaphysics. I've studied um, theosophy, Buddhism, Hinduism. Would you say that now after your NDE, are you a Christian or, or do you follow any type of specific religion? Or would you just no, say you're a No, I would like to think person? I'm... I'm just like to say I'm a good, I try to be a good person and I'll listen to everyone. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it gets into uh, dogmatic debates, I'm out. I don't want to know about it because that's a form of duality and ego. Ego wants to be right. And it's like, I don't have to be right. I know what's right deep down in my soul. I think we all know what's right, mm -hmm. but a lot of us uh, aren't humble enough to accept that we're wrong sometimes and that we're not ready to listen and have those new inputs coming in. Right. And that goes right across the board, whether it's secular, humanist, secular, you know, Christian, religious, mm -hmm. agnostic, agnostic, you know, that, that goes right across the scientific. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a lot of top scientists, professors in their field, and, and they can be blindsided or mm -hmm. blinded to areas that, you know, they deem not necessary, but everything is necessary. You have to broaden as many facets of your consciousness as possible mm -hmm. because there's always something you can learn always something new, something overlaps. Mm -hmm. It's just the biggest problem, Jeff, is our semantic, the, the words we use. As soon as we use words, that's divisory or di uh, divides straight away. Mm -hmm. It divides, you know, and as an artist, I can say, oh, you know, I paint the color blue, but I'd say, which color blue are you painting? There's hot blues, cold blues, there's shades, tints mm -hmm. and hues. Mm -hmm. So, but it's still all blue to the ignorant. But when you start become a professional artist, you're interpreting multiple shades of that blue yeah. it's not that easy it's not that easy right but it's about observing and once you exhaust that external sensory perception the five sensory perceptions then you've got to deal with the internal stuff the philosophies and all the beliefs mm -hmm. but then there's this secret level which uh this would be the innermost secret dialogue between you and your spiritual connection and this can come subjectively and this is a really good point because I read all of Robert Anton Wilson's work on eight circuit theory back in you know, the last century. He said, everything is subjective. I can't prove anything really, mm -hmm. unless we have a collective consensus on something. And we all know that collective consensus may not be right either mm -hmm. because it can become a belief. And we can see that through history. When you go to war, people believe that they were right. Mm -hmm. And two whole factions compound each other and annihilate each other in the process of thinking they're right. So consensus reality, I don't know, what is what is reality? You know, yeah. it's about breaking down everything you believe, deconstruct everything, try to use as much logic, 
uh, and, and merge it with your intuition. Mm-hmm. But another sexy subject, and that's, this is one of the things that you initially contacted me for, was about the extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew during the NDE they existed mm-hmm. because the light said, you know, um, there's entities all throughout the universe. Then you have to ask yourself, well, what's their role in all of this? How do we connect with them? Why haven't we connected with them really before this? Mm-hmm. Well, we are. We are connecting with them. We're evolving. Humanity's perpetually evolving uh, through both whether or not anthropologically no, because there's a linear evolution. But we're talking about evolution of consciousness. And some people get really scared by extraterrestrials. There's a lot of information coming out since the 60s, as you know, the Roswell incident. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked the Lord, I, I pray every day as well. I still pray. And, I, and at one point I said, well, look, you know, this is great. I know ETs exist, but I want to see them. I want to see them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize, but gently it eased me into it. it. The light eased me into an introduction. And this was very, very dislocating, but highly fruitious. Because it eventuated, it started off um, that I found a ring on a remote beach. I was Mm -hmm. swimming, and in the seaweed, there's this little bit of red stuff, you know. I thought, what's that little bit of it? But it caught my eye because it was, you know, in the middle of the seaweed, and I thought Mm -hmm. it was just a bit of rubbish. And I picked it up, and it was a little ET's head, a little gray's head on a disc. It was like a a cereal, you know, ring that the kids get out of, like a little packet. Mm -hmm. I thought, holy crap, there's a little alien head now. What's the Mm -hmm. chance of that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I took that home. And two days later, um, I was doing a, medita- a very deep meditation. And, mm-hmm. um, um, and I think your previous podcast guy, Ray, was talking about calling in ETs. And I have a method of actually trying to do that. So what I did is I laid out a particular crystalline uh, structure. Uh, I'd call it a portal. It was, it was a visualization for myself. And um, boom, uh, the neighbor, I heard the neighbor carrying on. Uh, they'd spotted three objects over the house mm-hmm. and uh, he he alerted me he said john get out of here and have a look at this i've got this on film by the way mm. anyway so i filmed it uh, with my camera my i got a fairly good digital camera but it didn't turn out so good but I, so i got the footage from my neighbor <laughs> there was four of us five of us six of us out there looking at these three objects and they formed shapes so i thought oh, okay wow so i'm getting these you know uh, I think they call them UAPs now, mm-hmm. but uh, UFOs above my house forming shapes. I got mm-hmm. some great shots with my camera. Mm-hmm. Then um, I thought, okay, it didn't stop there. Within a week, I had three entities over me in my bed. Now, that was extremely dislocating physical mm-hmm. ETs. Um, and I, you know, we've heard this. I haven't really looked into the ET phenomenon. I don't go chasing ET stories. Mm-hmm. It's just not my thing. I've heard a few like mm-hmm. Whitley Strieber's communion and stuff. Uh, let me stop um, you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. How long after your NDE did this happen? Oh, way after, way okay. after 15, 16, 17 years. All right. So it takes time to absorb and grow into this. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, I was doing crop circle phenomena. I was actually interpreting crop circles around 210, 213. I put a bit of that in my book. That's when the ET phenomena started. It got really strong. And uh, so maybe, it, you know, I could, I could feel I had multiple experiences, multiple contacts. They were telepathically projecting uh, like a gray's head in my forehead, woke me up one night in Manly in Sydney. Mm-hmm. They tampered with my energy. I could feel it. It was physical, mm-hmm. real time. My energy was booted up. 
and I was swearing the F word, everything, because I thought this is unbelievable what's going on. So they have the ability to remote us, hmm. to remote uh, and project plant stuff in our mind. So, yes, it might sound nefarious to a person who's not really, but no, there was no negative after effect. Mm-hmm. In fact, the opposite, the opposite. My energy booted up for three months. Mm-hmm. I was like an 18-year-old again, you know. Hmm. Um, so they have the ability to, they know our, our energetic field. And, of course, they would have known this from the pyramids and using the pyramids back then. So they knew the, const- the energetic constitution of humanity thoroughly, thoroughly. These entities are millions of years ahead of us, millions, mm-hmm. millions, technologically. Spiritually, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe there's a cosmological process to the whole universe, and I do believe that reincarnation is that process, transmigration of souls from one entity to another. This is not accepted in mainstream Christian religion, mm-hmm. but when I studied Judaism, they have a term called Gilgul mm-hmm. and Tikkun, which means rectification. Gilgul is the process of reincarnation. So mm-hmm. how it didn't translate from Judaism to Christianity is interesting. Mm-hmm. That in itself is worth looking into. Mm-hmm. But then I think we spoke about another time, getting back to the extraterrestrial stuff. I was in a ship. I was taken in a ship. Uh, I knew I was in the ship because it, the temperature was different. It felt it was physical. Um, but I, the ETs, I knew they were ETs because I was looking for them. I couldn't see them because it was dark, but there was a glowing table in front of me, this oval table, mm-hmm. probably just about mid-thigh height for me because I'm mm-hmm. fairly tall. Mm-hmm. And it was glowing and moving, and it was like a liquid LED display, but all moving completely. It was organic. It was the only thing I could explain and, and levitating. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and it was changing. Like there was a map of the world, and I thought, oh, what am I looking at? And I felt like I was prompted to look at it. And I looked at this table, and I could see movements and dark dark parts of some countries and i didn't really fully understand what i was looking at because it's just like you're looking at a a visual that you don't connect anything and i got oh and then i realized i might have been looking at the future Hmm. might have been i don't know i don't know and then later i started getting visions about stuff so it's Mm -hmm. and there was another human in there as well and we telepathically spoke with each other Mm -hmm. and i said something succinctly like it's really weird here and he said yeah yeah i know what you mean so he knew this other person knew that they were in the in that space with me. I knew he was human, but that's the only other person I could see. But we both knew that we were in this weird space, and I would have liked to have, you know, said more to this guy. Mm-hmm. But so it's we're abduction contact. Mm-hmm. Abduction slant contact is a very debatable term. Because people who got negative vibes from it, Jeff, would say, oh, it's an abduction because it was against my will. Well, contact is against your will too. But mm-hmm. in this case, I did say before, mm-hmm. I wanted to meet them. Mm-hmm. So if I'd done a lot of spiritual work prior, you're not, people can't just go, oh, yeah, take me. I want to be taken. A lot of people want to be taken, but they haven't actually proved spiritually that they're ready yet. Because it does, it's very, very dislocating, very dislocating. Mm. You can't just walk back to your job on Monday and say, hey, boss, you know, I've just been abducted. And they'll say, what? You're fired. Get lost. Mm. You know, they think you're a nut job. You know, mm. you just can't go in there and, and bring that world back into this world with mm. ease. It's not mm. that easy. It's in, almost impossible. Mm. So maybe they're targeting artists, Jeff. Maybe mm. they're targeting people like you. Maybe they're targeting, targeting Hollywood actors directors uh, yeah maybe i don't know 
Let me catch a question here. Um, I got a question here. Is that um, Major Mayhem is asking, what is the name of your book? Uh, God's Mountain. Uh, you can you can yeah you can pick it up on uh, Kindle on Amazon Kindle and paperback. You can do a search and it's got one of my paintings on the front. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I don't have a copy of it here in front of me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But God's Mountain, God apostrophe S Mountain. Yeah. You mentioning your paintings is a great segue because I went to your website and you're a fantastic painter. Thank you. And, you're too generous, um, <laughs> and it looks like on your website you even sell some of your paintings. Is that true? Well, you know, selling, I've been painting professionally for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the paintings I do, uh, I'm trying to translate some of the things I saw in my NDE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm trying to translate them in a way to try to anchor it into some sort of uh, narrative that makes sense. Like, yes, I could paint the pure imagery, but it's, uh, like like I said, I saw a lot of crystalline stuff in my imagery at one stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I understood Buckminster's, uh, Buckminster Fuller, who was a great architect, and I met one of his contemporaries after mm-hmm. my ND. I'm, I've met some fantastic people in my life. Mm-hmm. By coincidence, I don't know, but mm-hmm. Buckminster Fuller, he, he's uh, most famous, uh, or Bucky as they call him, he was very famous for what they call tensegrity grids, and his structures of strong and weak points to hold structures together. Uh, I did see that in, in crystalline form. Uh, in one aspect of my NDE, everything went fully crystalline. Mm. And so the whole universe, I felt, was a liquid crystal, and the light steps down through these crystalline dimensions that become more solid as they densify, if that makes sense. Mm. But there's actual pathways to each dimension. It just doesn't permeate all the dimension at once. There's these particular aperiodic structures, uh, and I get back to that aperiodic periodicity again periodic means repetition of patterns aperiodic means that the structure may not have a symmet- symmetry in it but it still fits into all the uh, the periodicity around it mm-hmm. so the aperiodic structure in my opinion only is some form of gateway they manifest from the tiniest quantum phenomena right up to the black holes and wormholes and supernovas so it repeats. These patterns repeat throughout the universe. Would you say they're like fractals? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm. They're fractals, yes. Mm. But they keep on – so we, we can't reach because it's infinite. And yeah. for me, infinite means infinite. It's never-ending. And so, But consciousness thinks in terms of finite, beginning and end, linear. That's that the way our mind structures things to make sense of our reality here. Mm-hmm. Empirical science has done that as well. So empirical science is built off incremental layers of knowledge to build up to conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't like that word conclusion, Jeff, because everything is really open-ended because new information will come once you reach what, what a semi-conclusion on any particular science or belief. Mm-hmm. So once new information comes, NDEs, now NDEs are flooding the planet when we all thought that we knew about paranormal activity. Now, all of these NDEs are not manifesting in the same way. Yeah. And this is, this is something that's interesting in and of itself mm-hmm. because have you ever thought that the person may not be capable of understanding deeper structures? In my case, I didn't have any beliefs or dogma to break down first. You didn't need to deconstruct me because I was an idiot. Mm. I was I was uneducated idiot. I didn't have any physics degrees or anything. I was just a surfer. You know, I joined the military. I was just a nobody. 
So my maybe my mind was an open platform. I really don't know. I don't know why this happened to me. And it's still been a, a burden as well as a blessing because it's ruined my life, man. It's not not fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's not fun. Right. Do you at this point fear death? No. No. Well that's good. No. No. So not at all. That's probably one of mankind's biggest, if not the biggest, fear. Absolutely, because it's an unknown. But it is accessible. We can do practices to lessen the fear of death. Mm-hmm. So this is all about a part of our consciousness that, that pushes us into an active principle. Our consciousness works in a three a trifold way, passive, active, and neutral. Okay, that's the most philosophy is based off a trifold um, active, passive, neutral. Neutral, many people are neutral. They have, oh, I sit on the fence. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. That's neutral. It's not until we have an active experience in our life that pushes out of our pushes us out of our passive state, because most people are passive. We take in information from sources, TV, news, movies, mm-hmm. art, our environment, our race. You know, there's a lot of inputs going in, so we're not always. It's a passive form of absorption, and we are we are um, a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for. We're not a sealed, closed system. I studied a lot of Ilya Prigogine's stuff. He's a Nobel laureate for open and closed systems. Uh, he's, he's passed away, but yeah, his, his work was to do with thermodynamics. But our consciousness is also thermodynamic. It's, it's plastic. It's also porous. Just talking to you today, I've entered into your consciousness and you mine. So we're exchanging ideas, and they go in and out, and whatever sticks, some sticks, some doesn't, some flows through you. So consciousness is a very plastic uh, form of something or substance. It is a substance in and of itself, but it's also malleable. The whole point about uh, uh, a lot of this metaphysical and this experience that I had was about retaining retaining John, but expanding to the point of my, my limits or my capacity of my divine limit. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'll just say that again. Sure. I can re- still retain my sovereignty. I don't want to follow anyone. Not interested in followers or following anyone. I want to remain right in me, mm-hmm. but still receive these thoughts because every experience you have takes you to a new level or a new gateway, and it opens up to that level. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to absorb each level. It's like a big envelope, and it fills that sphere out. Then when you're full and done, then pop, you open out again. So it's a form of spheres expanding. Mm. That's what we are. We're expanding energetic spheres. Mm. And sometimes those spheres get shattered and broken, mm-hmm. um, which is what my NDE did to me. It shattered all my previous spheres. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Did I answer that person's question? Sorry. Just, yes, just yes. give me that question. I, yeah. No, my, my last question, and you answered it, was did you fear death? And you said no. 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 Yeah. And speaking of time, unfortunately, we are running out of time. But before we go, um, I would like to let people know how to contact you about your paintings or do you have a Facebook page? Do you interact with the public or not? Yeah, yeah absolutely. If people yeah, want to reach got, you or yeah. reach out to you, how do they do that? Well, I've got my own website, johnscottartist.com. Okay. Uh, so that's out there. If you just Even if you can't find that, put John Scott, Australian artist, you'll find me. Okay. I'm represented in galleries in Australia, but I, I also do private work. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I don't push it. I actually don't push to be famous. I'm not interested in being famous. I just paint for the sake of painting. Mm-hmm. They sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
painting sell just at the right time. I'm very much, you know, I trust in spirit on this. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I'd like to move into other areas of painting, mm-hmm. uh, which are a little bit out there. Uh, but I don't know, might be a bit before the public's ready. I don't think the public's ready to see. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I don't know. I, that's totally something I'll. Maybe that's not up for you to decide whether the public's ready or not. Correct. I think when it happens, it happens kind of thing. I don't like pushing, in other words, but when it happens, I like the organic unfoldment. Right. I really do. I like the organic unfoldment of this. Right. So, yeah, I've got a Facebook page, John Scott, but I've got a, also, I've got my own website. But then yeah. at the bottom of the website, you can see Instagram, you can see uh, the Facebook page and everything there, links there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have any other projects that you're working on that you would like us to know about? Like, are you working on a second book or other paintings or sculpting or anything? Uh, yeah. Oh, look, I'm always painting. Um, that's a given. Uh, I wanted to put together a second book based off question and answers because there were so many people were were gracious enough to ask questions on the Facebook forum. Mm-hmm. And with that group, the NDE group, which is really good because Ned Matinio handles it really well. He, he stops, you know, all the fundamental stuff coming in. So it's a real safe space. Mm-hmm. A lot of people aren't at the same levels. Remember that with NDEs, they're not all at the same levels mm-hmm. and they have prior beliefs. So, when they, when they come into the NDE, they're looking for solid answers and they probably come away with a lot more confusion than they do answers. So it's very difficult. And I feel for people, say, who have not get any metaphysics background or mm-hmm. further study and they believe they're going to go to, uh, you know, based off an experience of how they're going to go to heaven with their parents. That's fine. I, I don't discredit that. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say is don't do any harm. Don't harm people because there are cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, of actions that that much is a given i changed completely i dropped all my friends mm-hmm. i was also a biker in a gang and i let all that go completely it changed me forever mm-hmm. and i never want to go back to that life ever yeah that's interesting it's not really mm-hmm. a change to me i would consider it a transformation because absolutely change, change just kind of you slowly happens but it's like an instantaneous you're a new person Yes and no. I mean, I, I'll be, oh, oh, yes and no. The, the experience was instantaneous. The change uh, was already happening prior to the experience because I'd had a few incidents in my life that, you know, I was moving away from certain areas. So I was already asking. I was already asking. There's that active principle of searching for answers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't go looking, Jeff, mm-hmm. until it's too late and they have these hor- horrific accidents. Mm-hmm. I feel, I really do feel for these people that have an auto accident and they get their you know, their arms ripped off and their heart stops in surgery. I think, oh, my God, thank God, you know, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Lucky I didn't get that. I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm lucky on that aspect, really. Mm-hmm. And I feel because I've spoken with a few since. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mentioned that you're, you're a fantastic painter, and uh, I got a guest you got comment. Cut that out. I got a guest commenter here, Major <laughs> Mayhem, and he also writes here in the chat that you, your, your, your paintings are so good. Well, t- thank you. Thank you for that. I'll take that with um, with grace. Uh, I still don't think I've really touched where I want to go with my art yet. Mm-hmm. There's areas that are hovering above me, and I believe I did. I will say I didn't want to come back from my experience. Mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. I did not want to go back. And they said, uh, well, we're always with you. Uh, mm-hmm. They used the term we, which mm-hmm. is, an, again, opens up another can of worms. Mm-hmm. Uh, too long for this podcast but um yeah i so when i was sent back yes i was veiled to what um what i was to do because 
you know, here I've got this bunch of information, but then the veil was slowly removed and I've gone, oh, 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 and the awe was still there, but I did get depression after this and that's what caused me to recluse myself. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I was being guided to just read and study up on things to mm-hmm. correlate what I'd seen in my NDE because it was still very dislocating. You can imagine mm-hmm. I was running around like a madman saying I'd spoken with God and everyone's going, Jesus, John's lost the plot. My friends left me. They just dumped me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up becoming a recluse. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'm okay with that. You know, mm-hmm. I really am. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, you know, it's not, I don't think everyone can cope with this. And sometimes I think, why me? How come I got, I just wanted a normal job. You know, I wanted Mm -hmm. to like everybody else, get a mortgage, get a house, have a Mm -hmm. wife and kids and just Mm -hmm. get on with it. You know, Mm -hmm. does, does think life doesn't always work out the way we expect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you are so right with that statement. I wish I could remember the quote and I was thinking about it today from that movie. um, What is the movie about Wyatt Earp? And the uh, and the guy, there's the guy, uh, Doc Holliday. I think right before he dies, you know, he's saying that you know all these hardships and the, all the stuff with life. He just said it's just life, so get on with it. You know, basically. absolutely. Yeah, no. And we all get challenges, and I do believe that these are pre-programmed into us mm-hmm. uh, to test us and strengthen strengthen our resolve. Not in a stubborn way. Not in a stubborn way. No, it's actually spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had tragedies before my NDA. I lost my partner and daughter in a mm-hmm. car accident. Wow. And that's what really sent me over the edge. I was in the Navy at the time. It's like, holy crap, I did some stupid stuff, got into trouble with the police. Mm-hmm. But my friends didn't know why or what had happened. I couldn't even understand my behavior. Mm-hmm. So after that, I thought, oh, you know, I was in a bad way, but there was no counseling back then. Mm-hmm. I was at sea. I came back and to find out that, you know, I'd lost this couple and I thought, oh, shit, you know, this is, excuse my French, but yeah. it was quite traumatic. Yeah. And I had, again, I was an atheist. I didn't, but she was coming in dreams over and over. Mm. Then six years later, I had my own NDE, but I never saw them. Mm. I never saw them on the other side and yeah, I wasn't shown them. Yeah, no, interesting. it is. So I thought, I now know, well, I believe in reincarnation, which is challenging. Uh, but I believe maybe they've moved on and I didn't need to see them because I knew they were all right. Everyone's okay. I mean, I've right. seen my dad when he passed away. Mm-hmm. He came back in spirit and hugged me. So mm-hmm. the veil has been breached for me now and, I, and I'm half in that world and half in this world mm-hmm. and I waver in and out. So again, that's very dislocating and mm-hmm. it's hard to anchor. So my art anchors me. That's where I anchor is through my art. Mm-hmm. I get focused. Uh, I don't really like talking about my ND much anymore. I mean, I used to talk about it all the time and flap my gums, but people weren't listening. Mm-hmm. People would say horrible things like, oh, you had a satanic experience. Mm-hmm. I spoke to rabbis. I spoke to priests, psychologists, and they all had their own projections and opinions, mm-hmm. all of them, mm-hmm. all of them. And they were all, it was, that was all unsatisfactory because ultimately I knew deep down what had happened. I could only, I could resolve it mm-hmm. through my own, you know, psychoanalysis and going back through it and, and finally coming to terms with it mm-hmm. by accepting it. Once mm-hmm. you accept it, it's fine. You just go along with it. It's much like the journey itself. Mm-hmm. Just go with the flow. Right. You know, I just had a uh, cool thought that maybe we were brought together. This podcast is going to go out. People are going to see you and maybe they're going to want to contact you and reach out to you and you won't be a recluse anymore. You're going to have all these people who want to talk to you now. Well, 
Good and bad. I mean, as you know, double-edged sword. It puts you in the public eye. I don't. I'll say to viewers, I don't know everything, mm-hmm. but I have experienced a lot. So I've got a lot of empathy with suffering. Firstly, and I know people suffer. We all suffer. Mm-hmm. We've all been abused, whether mentally, physically, uh, you know, through trauma. It's happening all the time. So yes, I, I get that. I get that a lot. I mean, I've really changed my views towards. I'm not into politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm very much into the human, humanitarian aspect of things. And I feel sorry for the people who are doing the wrong thing. I don't have enemies and I don't want enemies. Mm-hmm. I don't go, ooh, you know, like the Illuminati or the CIA. They're humans. Mm-hmm. These guys work in a job. They have a conscience. Mm-hmm. They too might have a spiritual epiphany that may hopefully change them at the right time. Mm-hmm. I truly do believe that uh, this constant uh, dark side or what Jung calls your your um, your shadow. We all have a shadow. I've been there. I've seen my shadow, and it's scary. I know what we're all capable of because I know what I could be capable of if I was put into these uncompromising situations. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we all get to confront our shadow at one stage, all of us, every mm-hmm. single human. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a guest belt. That's a bit of a rash generalization, mm-hmm. but I'm more talking about people who do the wrong thing. We're all accountable. Mm-hmm. The creator already knows what you're up to and mm-hmm. it's holding you back. Mm-hmm. The creator holds back these people and people say, well, what about murders and, and killings and stuff? I said, well, that's another narrative that we could probably talk about yeah. um, through the lens of, of um, uh, cosmology and reincarnation and karma, which is a very difficult discourse, extremely difficult. Yeah. I spent 10 years trying to discuss karma and work it out. And it's so many variables, Jeff, yeah. so many variables Yeah, you know, and inputs. Right. All right, John, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you would give to all of us before we go? Keep learning. Just keep learning. Don't shut yourself off to a belief. Just keep learning, but hang on to your own sense of self. But always listen with respect to other people's views, whether they're religious, whatever, try to learn and say, okay, just keep learning. Because the creator has an incredible way of putting the lesson that you need is in front of you right now at every moment. It's always there, but you just can't see it at the time because you're veiled. And when you look back, you go, oh, I met that person 10 years ago. They've been saying the same thing. Different people keep coming in with the same message. That's how this works. It's like then when you get it, you go, aha, now I can grow through that pattern. I can break that pattern and grow through it. So we're all mirrors of each other, all of us, until you break all the mirrors, all of them. And that's a very hard thing to do. When you break all the mirrors, you might start, then we start to become human, not an animal. Mm -hmm. So love is the answer. It's always the answer. But there's love and then there's love, love. You know, you can love your cat, you can love your wife and your kids, but then love is also patience, waiting for decades on end for an opening to say something, waiting for lifetimes, hundreds of lifetimes to say something. This is all karmic, and it's also underpinned by love. The creator is much bigger than we can even think. It is so damned vast, I can't even put words to it. It's Mm -hmm. beyond comprehension. Mm -hmm. That's why it's God. You know, it's infinite. It's the ineffable. So it's very humbling. This experience humbled me. It humbled me right down to the ground, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm scared to even talk about some things because I think, am I allowed to say that? Can I say that? Because I think of the consequences of what I'm saying, you know. As long as my intent's pure, I'm okay with it. But it's not, it's not, an, it's not as hard and fast, Jeff, you know. Yeah. A lot of hats off to people who get out there and do talk about their ND in public. It's difficult because you're exposing your vulnerabilities. And I've got a ton of them. Yeah. yeah, I'm vulnerable. You know, I'm a bloke. Don't like talking about my emotions, but I cry a lot more. I'm upset about a lot more things. Yeah. I think a lot of things upset me, you know, unfairness in the world. Right. But all you can do is take on a fight when you're ready, you know, little fights, little drops, little, little things can help people preventing them from harming themselves, just a smile, a touch, a chat, and you'll be put into those. Everyone's put into those situations, not to pound them or proselytize them, but to actually listen to them and feel them, feel them. People are hurting out there. They're really in pain. They're suffering. And the people who are perpetrating suffering on others, they're the real victims because they don't realize whatever they do now, it has to be paid back whether through another life or on the other side, it has to be paid back. No. You don't get away with anything. Don't get away with anything. <clears throat> As to the point of equilibrium, I don't know. When we reach that point of equilibrium, that'll come in its own time when a sense of fairness comes back. Mm-hmm. You know, We've got to stop killing ourselves and harming ourselves. All right, John, I've got to run, but I really appreciate your time. Thank I you, really Jeff. appreciate you coming on my podcast. I wish you the best. I wish you massive success with your book, with your paintings, and anything else that you endeavor to be or do. Thanks, Jeff. And um, thanks for inviting me in the first place. I mean, you've come out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And you're getting some good interviews there. I mean, I, I don't even know why you approached me, but um, mm-hmm. I think some of the interviewers you're getting I think that this uh, interviews are great. You know? I, I think you were the perfect person to add, you know to have on the podcast, and this was a great conversation. I mean, it could go on a lot longer, but so I, many subjects that I could have covered. Right. Really. I mean, I just I have to. I only have so much time because the editing just it takes too long yep. to edit, and I just kind of that's why I try to. I only have a certain amount of time, but maybe we'll have you back. Yeah, maybe I could be the editor. well just just let it run i mean you know i mean what's the edit i mean sometimes one little word can actually open someone up to a whole area Mm -hmm. so it's it's funny even that alone the editing process i'm sure you'll be guided to do it the way you feel necessary right well it's not as much as i'm editing what we say per se but it's also editing the the volume the brightness the con you know making it look pretty making it look sharpening and these files are really long to tell you. And that, that curved earth you've got behind you, mate, we've got to flatten that out. Yeah, there you go. We've got to make the flatter. Just have to throw that in. Okay. Let's just get people talking, controversy, controversy. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be, I'll be known as the flat earther. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah they, did he do that on purpose or didn't he? You know, you have the one. There's yeah, your next okay. painting. You got to paint me an earth, oh. a flat earth. There you go. And oh, I can be, and Jesus, take a I'm dealing with enough. Dealing with enough stuff at the moment, but yeah, anyway. I can talk about Flat Earth and where it may come from, which is Norse mythology, but it goes back to Egypt as well. So and, um, a simple little illustration diagram can sort that out. But anyway, that's enough from me. Yeah. All right, John. Well, I'm going to take off. I would say have a good evening, but it's the afternoon there. It's all so, relative. Yeah. There's no time. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I have the sun up, and that's you've got the sun down, but that's as, as far as it goes. Thanks, yeah. Jeff. 
Mm-hmm. Cheers, man. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.